From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello and welcome to episode 225 of the Anxiety Project podcast. I am Brad Robinson. All right. I am excited to share with you my conversation with certified master coach and author, Rachel Luna. I talked to her about her new book, Permission to Offend, which is great. I read it and I loved it. It was awesome. Um, She is a practitioner of what she preaches because she suffered in her life, man. And I'll tell you something, her childhood was no joke. Her par- Both her parents died from AIDS when she was really young. She battled so many different emotions growing up. And, well, I, I, I pick her brain about that. But also, she survived a cancer diagnosis later in her life and overcame that dragon. I, wa- I wanted to know how, when something like that comes about and the rug gets pulled out from under you, what do you do in that situation and I, I, I was very interested in to hear what she had to say. And then what's also interesting about Rachel is that she served in the U.S. Marine Corps for over a decade, which is really, really interesting. But see, later in her life, how she managed all of these stressors in her life, well, she turned to alcohol. She turned to men. She suffered from an eating disorder. And I wanted to know how she wrestled with all of these things and and move past it, heal from the past, and become this successful author, uh, coach, and mentor that she is now. And I love that process. So that's why I loved talking to Rachel. And I hope you guys as well find this conversation to be enlightening. We dive into identity, which is made up of beliefs and values. Um, Rachel talks about boundaries, um, setting up boundaries for ourselves so that we we don't walk over ourselves, right? We don't fall into temptation and in self-sabotage and we don't let others walk over ourselves because believe me i used to be that person and so we dive into so much more in this podcast but i don't want to hold it up any longer here is rachel luna i hope you enjoy rachel luna thank you so much for being on the anxiety project podcast i read your book, Permission to Offend. Um, It's a great book. There's so much to get into. It is packed full of content that I I kept writing down notes as I was reading the book. And I have a whole page here of things that I want to get into about mindset, about beliefs, identity, success, boundaries, um, living by your own truth. Um, But before we get into that, I want to know the success of the Rachel Luna sitting in front of me. What is your life like now? What is your mindset like now before we peel back the onions of where it began for you? Mm, Great question. The mindset that I have right now is that the journey is more fulfilling than the destination. 
And I didn't believe that for many years, in particular, when I was just getting started, I had this belief that I'll be happy and fulfilled when, when I get married, when I have children, when I have a six figure business, when I have a book deal. And that is not the case because I noticed in particular when I had the first milestone, right? Once I got married, the getting married was fun, but that wasn't the fulfilling part of the journey. The fulfilling part is weathering the ups and downs of marriage and being able to look back and say like, wow, you know, we really made it. Um, and, And with business, same thing. When I hit six figures, it was awesome. And I felt really good, but the fulfillment didn't come from having the six figures. The fulfillment came from doing all the things it took to get to the six figures. And last year in particular, Brad, I had this moment where I thought, wow, I feel so fulfilled just for having done the things, not for the outcomes. And I talk about that in the book. I teach you that you need to learn how to release your emotional attachment to the outcome. And you Mm -hmm. recognize that fulfillment is in the journey, not in the destination. Mm -hmm. That was, that reminds me of when I was suffering from anxieties years ago, Mm -hmm. I had this perfectionistic mindset, right? Mm -hmm. When I woke up, everything needed to check the box. I needed to feel good in order to have a good day. I needed people to talk to me the way they were in order to feel good. All of these validations. Can you just elaborate more on how we can break this cycle of perfection? Well, recognize that perfection doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It truly doesn't. There's an imperfection in everything. And even in the things that you or I might say like, no, 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 no. I'm looking at this tin right here. It's a perfect circle. Well, someone else will look at this and say, well, it's a perfect circle, but it's not a perfect tin. Look, it's got a sticker on the bottom. And so perfection is irrelevant. It's subjective. And it actually doesn't give you the result that you think it will. It doesn't give you the hit that you're expecting it. For me, it's about progress. There's so much joy. There's so much peace and progress. It's a reflection Mm -hmm. of who you've been being. Yeah. Yeah. So progress, I want to get into where it all started for you because you never, correct me if I'm wrong, um, this mindset that you have now was not always existent. So where did this come from? Like, how did this develop? What was it like for you growing up in the childhood that you, well, that you had and how rocky that was? And it was very, very rocky from what I read in the book. So if you can, there's a couple questions. One, where did that mindset begin? And did it begin partly because of how you grew up? I actually grew up riddled with anxiety because my biological mother passed away when I was three and a half. She had AIDS and my father at the time, I didn't know it, but he also was HIV positive. So when my biological mother passed away, he gave me to my godmother and she's who I call mom. So if you ever hear me referring to my mommy, it's the woman that raised me and she is my mother. But growing up, I always felt this intense uh, feeling of anxiety that she was going to die too. Because at three and a half, no one explains to you like death 
and how most people live long, but every now and again, a couple people will die off early or it wasn't explained to me in a way that I could actually metabolize and understand. So I was constantly afraid that I was going to be left behind. And then because my father had left me, I did see my father intermittently over the years, but he wasn't a daily presence in my life. I didn't talk to him daily. You know, I think at least my friends that are single parents now, they're doing such a great job of co-parenting because the, the father will call in daily. And, you know, I didn't have that. So I didn't feel safe. It's interesting when you live your life and you don't feel safe, but you don't have the vocabulary, the language, or the understanding to even express, I feel unsafe. So there was a lot of anxiety tied to that. On top of that, my mom, right, my mom that raised me, she is a high achiever, super, super smart. She graduated high school when she was 15. And so she had all these expectations for me. And I wasn't academically gifted. I'm dyslexic. I have ADHD, just uh, all the things that you, that just make you not successful in school is what I had. So I had a lot of anxiety, pressure to perform, test anxiety. And I remember this one time, Brad, I was in school and we were getting ready to take a test and I just burst into tears because I was so nervous about whether or not I'd get a good grade. And the teacher came up to me. She said, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm just so afraid. If I get a bad grade, my mommy's going to kill me. She's going to kill me, you know? And the teachers called my mom and they were like, are you hurting her? And my mom was like, no, I don't even hit the kid. <laughs> but just, that's just a, a, an illustration of what my life was like. I was worried about everything all the time. That manifested itself in a couple of eating disorders. And then when my father passed away, I was 19. Remember, he, he also had AIDS. Um, when he passed away, when I was 19, I began abusing alcohol. Mm. I mean, I went into a deep depression. So imagine you have anxiety, you have ADHD, you are dis disordered eating, and now you have alcoholism and depression. It was the perfect storm. And I remember I was in college at the time, waking up in the middle of the night, passed out from, you know, I had been blackout drunk, but I wake up in my bathroom on the floor in like a pool of my own vomit. And I think, oh my gosh, I gotta clean this up. So with my bare hands, I begin scooping the, you know, the vomit into, <laughs> the toilet bowl. And I have this moment of like, this can't be my life. Like, I, I don't think I was made to be in this position. I was raised better than this. I have been given opportunities that my biological brothers and sisters have not been given because we were all dispersed. I got to get it together. That was the first time I got it together, Brad. So I start going to AA. And in AA, they teach you the serenity prayer, right? Like courage to control the things I can, the things I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference, you know, the strength, whatever. And I graduate college sober. I start my career. And there was something in me, I can't quite explain it other than to say self-sabotage, fear of not being good enough, fear of um, things, are, things are getting too good. Things were going too good in my life. And so I had to find another way to destroy it. 
so that I could stick to my story of the world is an unsafe place. Everyone I love leaves me. I've been abandoned. Nobody wants me. Everyone just wants to take from me. These are all the things I believed to be true. And when life was going really good, I had to create chaos so that those stories that I believed were true could be true. So I started dating like all the wrong guys. I find myself in a three-year relationship with a guy who I then find out is married. And that pulled the wool from out under my feet. So then I had to have a come to Jesus moment again, you know? And it's so interesting because the whole time I remember thinking like, when are you going to learn? What's it going to take? Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, no, I haven't always had this mindset. It was one failure after another. And I just had enough wisdom to take away a, a lesson from each failure so that I could fail better, differently the next time. So mm. I've never stopped, um, I've never stopped avoiding failure. Mm. I, I have stopped trying to avoid disappointment. That's what we're doing, right? We're trying to avoid disappointment. We're trying to avoid failure. And mm. I realized like, look, Every time I try not to fail, every time I try not to be disappointed, I either don't take the actions that I could or should, or I find myself in a really icky pattern. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to keep failing forward and I'm mm -hmm. going to pay attention to what's working and what's not working. And then I started reading more books, going to events, learning things about the way the brain worked. I was really, really curious about, but why am I this way? What's wrong with me that I'm this way? Newsflash, nothing is wrong with us. Mm -hmm. It's just the human experience and the programming. So you started to make these radical changes for yourself, reading, seminars. You, you know, that's one of the rules I... Uh, talk about with not just my clients, but my audience is like, just step outside of what is comfortable for you, your known territory. It's like mm -hmm. the fire of the tribe, the light is everywhere, you know, it's everywhere where it's been explored and outside of the fire is the darkness. You have to go into the, mm -hmm. the darkness to find the answer. So you started to do all this stuff. What else were you doing to grow, but mm. also heal from this crazy past that you, that you had? So there were two things that I really did for healing and integrating the things that I was learning. Number one, my faith and number two, my journaling practice. So I'm a Christian and I just want to go on record to say, I'm not trying to convert anybody. And this is something that I teach, you know, have faith in something. You don't have to have faith in, in the same God that I believe in, do you? But for me, there was so much healing once I dug deep into my faith and my belief in God. And I started not listening to what the pastors were telling me on Sunday morning or in the Catholic school where I grew up, because what were they telling me? You're going to go to hell. You're a bad person, you know, hellfire and brimstone, you evil, dirty sinner, and you should be ashamed of yourself. And I didn't like that, but I realized that there's a difference between religion and relationship and religion will tell you everything that's wrong with you. 
And a relationship with God will show you everything that is good about you and everything that is lovable and worthy and just beautiful about you. You know, there's this one verse um, that says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I just, that like, even just thinking about that right now gives me the chills because, you know, Brad, for so many years, I did not believe that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And when we talk about fearfully, it's not, I'm terrified. It means awe. It means I'm, I am all, all worthy and wonderfully made. So that was really important to start to, to uh, dismantle religious dogma and go back to the truth of what God says about me was a game changer. And then along with that, my journaling practice, because we think 70,000 thoughts per day. Can you believe that? 70,000 thoughts. And if you're not paying attention, those thoughts will be misfiled. Those ideas will be misfiled as truth when in fact they are lies. Fact of feelings are not facts. And sometimes we'll start to feel something uh, immediately, but it's not necessarily true. So we have to be very super duper mindful of that. And for me, the journaling practice made a big difference. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, that's journaling is huge because you actually start to establish some sort of dialogue. Like a lot of people nowadays, um, they don't, they're so detached from that voice. Mm -hmm. And I always, I always see God for me, Rachel, as this internal voice. And mm -hmm. then sometimes I ask myself, well, that voice is telling me to do something that I, I just, I don't, I don't think I should do, but maybe it's a sign that I should do it. And maybe, you know, I should fail at it and then learn the lesson. And then the voice won't come again after I learned the lesson. So it's, it's like, once I started to journal, mm. it's like this voice was telling me, oh, you know, um, I reject that thought. You know, I reject that. That's not who I am. And I'll start to combat these, these thoughts as well as, listen to the thought sometimes it'll prove me wrong. And yes. then I'm like, Oh, th thanks God for, for letting me learn this lesson. So I always view God as this moral compass, this voice mm -hmm. within me. That's, that's wanting me to reach my higher self inevitably. I don't mm -hmm. know what you think about that. I actually would call that the Holy spirit. And so I would call that that voice that you're hearing that I identify that as the Holy Spirit, right? And so um, from the Christian perspective, yep. biblical perspective, right? Jesus says, um, I'm going to leave my whole, my spirit with you. And I'm, I give you the power to perform miracles, to perform signs and wonders. And people wonder why we don't see miracles every day. We do. I am a walking miracle. You know, I was healed from breast cancer in less than 30 days. But why people are not seeing miracles these days is because they lack faith and belief. And if you go back again, for if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to just hear this conversation and think of the Bible as like a, a great book of wisdom. Yeah. And that will kind of help you metabolize the story a little better. But in, in the Bible, it talks about this time where Jesus and his disciples are walking through a village and they can't perform any miracles. Now they've just performed tons of miracles in every city, but this one city and the disciples say to Jesus, master, master, why couldn't we perform miracles? What happened back there? And Jesus says, I tell you this, 
We could not perform miracles because the people are lacking in faith and belief. And so God can't do anything without us because God is a gentleman and he does not force his will upon us. He just guides us. And then we have to say, yes, here I am. Use me. Yes, here I am. Put me in. Yes, I believe that you can heal me. I believe that you can, even though the brain scan and the tests say that I have ADHD, I believe that you can put your spirit in me to help me focus for this moment. And if you can back up your faith with your beliefs, you are going to have a different experience. If you can pay attention to your beliefs, that will be a game changer. You see, you only have the amount of success that you believe you can have. Mm-hmm. Not how much you desire, not how much you're hoping for, how much you believe you can have. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I love that, Rachel. And I want to take it back to when you were diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. Um, this is, was a very important point for me in the book because this was like chaos emerging, the rug being pulled out from under you. I want to know how you dealt with such a uh, chaos. And you also said in the book that, you know, when you were the big challenge for you, one of the big challenges about it was losing your hair and dealing with that, like struggling with that ego aspect of of uh, of the hair loss. So can you just dive into that a little bit more yeah. today? Okay, so the first thing I did, whew, um, I prayed. Mm-hmm. I, well, no, let me take a step. The first thing I did was cry. <laughs> I cried. Yep. Um, yep. I was afraid. And then almost simultaneously, I felt this fear. And then I felt this calmness, this peace wash over me. I felt, you know, the Holy Spirit as a comforter. And so I felt the comfort of the Holy Spirit say to me, be still and know that I am God and that I have not given you more than you can handle. And I will not forsake you in this time of need. If you will just have faith, if you will just believe that you will be okay, I will make it okay. Hmm. That I could hear that voice. I wanted to believe. I was trying to believe. I wasn't 100% sure that I believed. So I want to make it very clear that belief doesn't come automatically. It's something that you work on. And the way that we can increase our belief is by taking small micro actions, okay? So it's by taking one step at a time to just acknowledge, okay, this is what I know and believe to be true today. I can do this. This is what I know to be true today. I can. And so it's very uh, incremental. Give yourself permission mm. to go in baby steps. Yep. Um, then from there, <laughs> when I lost my hair, that was a real shock because I had chosen an alternative path. I didn't do the conventional chemotherapy and radiation. The doctors here in the United States wanted me to do 53 weeks of conventional chemo and radiation, but I had seen a documentary saying that there were other ways to cure cancer that were less invasive, that were not as harsh on the body. So I chose something called IPT, insulin potentiated therapy. And with IPT, they give you about 30% of conventional chemotherapy mixed with insulin. 
And then they put that in your body. And the idea, the science behind it is that the cancer cells are attracted to the insulin, but the insulin is laced with chemo. And so more of the unhealthy cells are destroyed and you get to keep more of your healthier cells. With IPT, the average person does not lose their hair. They don't experience the unpleasant side effects of chemo because they're not taking in as much of the drug. So there's less side effects. That was not true for me. I felt everything that you would feel with chemo, excruciating, mind-blowing headache. Headaches, Brad, that when I think of it, a lump forms in my throat because it was so painful. Nausea, uncontrollable vomiting, loss of appetite, every, every bad thing. And I thought I was, the worst of it was over. I finished my treatment. I came back home. And a couple of weeks after coming home, when I thought, whoo, in the clear, my hair begins to fall out. So one thing they don't tell you is that your hair doesn't start falling out from chemo on day one. It's a gradual process. And it's this, I'm trying to find the words. So thank you for the opportunity to find the words. Um, it's this moment where you're not, ex where something so unexpected happens, you're not prepared, right? I was prepared to be sick. I was prepared for, our, you know, a, a healing journey that was going to test me. I was prepared for challenges. I wasn't prepared to lose my hair because they told me I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. When that began happening, um, I really just had to confront myself and look in the mirror and see who was I without everything that helped me identify as a woman? And that was really difficult because I had spent all these years feeling unworthy, thinking that I was ugly, that I was fat, that I had a big forehead, that I had a big nose, that my eyes were slanted, all these things. But when you have hair, you can cover a big forehead up. You can do a lot when you have hair to make yourself feel beautiful. And it was gone. My, what I perceived to be my beauty was gone. So I just had to start looking in the mirror and saying, look, girl, you need to fall in love with yourself however you look because looks will fade. Beauty is temporary. The external beauty is temporary. This youthfulness that you have is temporary. And the gift that you're being given is that you're going to get to live a long life. And if you want to live a long life, you're going to get wrinkled. You're, there's going to be a day where you look in the mirror and once again, you don't recognize yourself. Will you be able to love yourself in that moment? Because this mm -hmm. is training ground. Mm -hmm. So every day I just looked at myself in the mirror and I just thought, you're so pretty. Your insides are really beautiful. Who are you? Who are you, Rachel? I asked myself every day, who are you? And I was like, I'm a mom. No, that's what you do. That's your role and your responsibility. Who are you? I'm kind. I'm the, and I just started. And one day I just said, I am love. Everything about me is full of love. Everything that I do comes from a place of love. Everything that I'm working on building is because I love people and I want them to, to love life as much as I love life. So my core, everything that I am is love. 
And then I get to put the roles and the responsibilities and the hair and the makeup and the glasses. And then I get to have this beautiful package, but you could take all of that away. And the Mm -hmm. fact remains that I am love. I am loving. I am lovable. Yep. And just like that, my hair grew back. (laughs) And it looks beautiful. Thank you. What is the, so you identified the story and this is another piece of the book that really resonated with me. We're all telling ourselves a story in our mind mm-hmm. and, and you were telling yourself a story without my hair and the ego, I would say was mm-hmm. telling you this story, who I think I am, you yes. know, without, without that, I am, oh God, it's like anxiety, immediate anxiety. Mm-hmm. So for somebody who's coming to you and they're like, Rachel, I'm having difficulty and, you know, I wake up every day with intrusive thoughts and Mm -hmm. how would you approach them to like identify the story, but also help them uh, create, I suppose, a new story? Mm. Yes. Chapter nine in the book and permission to offend. I give a really great strategy for this. Well, actually chapters one and chapter nine are really supportive, right? So in chapter one, I teach you how to reframe the intrusive thought. So how I call it the frame framework for freedom. And so I first have you examine the thought. What is the thought? What is the fact And what is the story, right? So what's actually happening versus what you think is happening. And I I always use the example of my dad, right? When my dad gave me away, um, the fact was he sent me to live with my godmother. The fact was he didn't really make a lot of money. The fact was he was sick. The fact was he did not believe that he could raise a little girl. And I know that those are facts because I had conversations about it, right? But the story that I told myself was that my dad abandoned me, that he didn't love me, that I wasn't worthy. None of those things were true, okay? So once you separate the facts from the stories, now you can ask, you can validate or disprove, okay, the belief. What I learned, Brad, after doing this work was that my dad had a belief that as long as he never signed away his parental rights, he hadn't given me up. And I know this because my godmother tried to adopt me at one point in my life and she went down to the courthouse and he never showed up. And this was back in the day where, you know, there were no cell phones there. You had like a quarter and you put it in the payphone and you left someone a voice message, not a voice message, a machine on a cassette tape answering machine. Right. So um, he didn't show up. So she goes back home. She calls him and says, hey, I waited for hours. Where were you? And he said to her, I'm sorry, I just can't give her up. Here I had been thinking for years and years that my dad had given me up, that he didn't want me, that he didn't love me. Across the bridge in the Bronx, there he was thinking, I've never given her up. I love her so much. I can't give her up. And as long as I never sign my parental rights away, I've never given up on her. That's the difference between the story and the fact. So now you take that. Amazing. And I teach you in chapter nine, the three-step journal, the three-step faith activated journal method. So the first thing you're going to do with those intrusive thoughts is just write them down. 
Observe them. I say that our thoughts and ideas are like little children. They need our attention or they will continue to pester. And I have two children, so I know, right? My kids would be like, mom, 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 mama, mama. What? I love you. I love you too, sweetie. Okay, bye. You know, and then they go away. So likewise with our thoughts. So you just write them down, write whatever is coming to mind. Do not judge the thought, just observe them. The second step is you're going to shift. In the shift, you're going to shift into a, a state of gratitude, of excitement. You're going to want to bring um, an energy to your thoughts. Now you get to choose. It's going to be a positive energy or a negative energy. You can totally manifest from positive or negative, but I think that the path of least resistance is manifesting from positivity, okay? or at least neutrality. So we wanna neutralize any negative emotions in the shift. And then the third step is the script, where you are going to script your desires, your new reality, as if it's already happened. And here's the plot twist. You're going to write the actions that you took as if you've already taken them to create the new reality. This way, when you wake up the next day and you're like, man, all these thoughts, I'm feeling so anxious. I don't know what to do first. Yes, you do. Go back into your journal entry from yesterday. You wrote out a plan. You wrote those actions that you took as if you've already taken them to get the desired outcome. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And so, Rachel, what makes up someone's identity um, you you laid it out. You laid the formula out in the book. But for those listening, Absolutely. what is so, that? So it's really simple. It's your values plus your beliefs equals your identity. And one of the things that we often don't even recognize is that we believe the things that we believe because that's what we were taught. Our caregivers, our mothers, brothers, sisters, whoever was raising us impose their beliefs on us and because we're children and we're just learning from the next food bringer or the nearest food bringer around us we thought oh that must be true so what i teach you in the book is to question all of your beliefs all of them why do you believe whatever you believe why do you believe one plus one is two? Oh, because mathematically well is it true though or is that just what we've named two? you know so you that might seem like a really simplistic um, example, but it's just something to think about. For me, I had to do that with my religion, right? With Christianity, because I did not believe a lot of the things. I was like, wait a minute, the Virgin Mary, Jonas in the world, one plus one is not making two with these stories. <laughs> and I began to just question everything that I had been taught. At some point, you might then decide, look, I don't have a logical explanation, but I'm choosing to believe this and I'm at peace with that. Great. God bless. Keep going. But there are going to be things where you think, oh, I believed that for a long time, but I, I don't think that that's true anymore. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that. And then from there, you get to start to take a stand for what you do believe what you are for and what you are against. And then when it comes to your values, I give you a really good activity in the book to see what you've been valuing versus what you want to value. And you will know because what wherever your time is going, that's what you're valuing more than what you actually desire to value. And that's yes. a real eye opener. 
That's huge for me. Uh, I, you know, that it's funny because I, like I didn't even know this formula. So everyone that's listening, you're you're getting a real treat because I remember when I was suffering from anxiety. I mean, I was just like, what if I just did the opposite of what I was doing? Mm. You know what I mean? Because like my life was so not working for me. It's like everything's against me, right? Like you're one to talk because you if you know back then it's easy for you to go, well, I'm dealt a bad hand. Like all of these bad things are happening to me. Um, so for me, in, in my personal experience, I was like, okay, what if I just did do the opposite? I'm going over to my friends and smoking weed and, and living a hedonistic lifestyle. What if I not didn't, didn't, and I just read or like I, I, I worked on my resume or like, you know, it did these small micro goals. And then I noticed that I think that just life, it's just started to shift in that aspect. So mm. yeah, I love what you were saying, Rachel. It, it, it's so true. Thank you. And then, and then one thing I did want to get into was the fear of flying. I thought that was very, mm. very interesting how you overcame that because it's so useful for for people who I feel like most of society now is anxious about doing something, going somewhere, being on the subway, or especially flying. Um, how does one approach something? And how did you approach this fear that was just so beyond you? And uh, what were the steps? And how would you guide someone going through a fear? Yes, that is the all outcomes matrix. That's in chapter seven of the book. And what I teach you to do is so simple, but you know, the simple things aren't always easy. And I like to remind people to do the simple, but not necessarily easy things. That's where you're going to find a lot of freedom and a lot of peace from all your anxious thoughts. So the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to consider what is the best possible outcome. Am I okay with that outcome? Great, cool, we can move ahead. What is the worst possible outcome? Am I okay with that outcome? I am? Great, go ahead. No, I'm not okay with that. That outcome is horrible. Rachel, what are you doing? Then I say, okay, well, let's put that to the side. Let's look at the in-between outcome. Are you okay with that? Yes, but, okay. So now, yes, but what needs to happen for you to be okay with the medium outcome? Yeah. figure that out then now let's tackle the hard one it's the worst case scenario what do you need to believe to see to prepare to experience in order for you to be okay with the worst possible catastrophic thing happening let's work on that now that might not solve the problem immediately in the moment but it gives you number one awareness as to what's really holding you back and number two, it gives you action steps so that you can work on overcoming. For me, mm. the worst possible outcome was, you know, the plane crashes and there's no survivors and you know, what's going to happen to my children? And am I okay with that? I'm never going to be okay with my children not having a mother. I will never be okay with that. But I have enough things in place that I know my children will be taken care of. And so it's safe for me to live my life. Mm. I'm not okay with the outcome all the way, but I'm okay enough that I'm going to keep living mm. my life and recognize that life is delightfully dangerous. Yeah. 
and mm-hmm. also safe. Yep. Did it take you a few tries to yeah. what with the with going on the plane? How many tries did it take you? For me, uh, I remember like having a panic attack at the art gallery here in Toronto way back when I was having panic attacks on a daily mm-hmm. basis. Um, I had to go back to the gallery probably a dozen times before my anxiety was like a zero. Yeah. Um, so for you, how? Oh how my was... gosh. I, I, I just kept getting on planes because I love to yeah. travel. Um, oh. And prior to me discovering the all outcomes matrix, like by Chala and Era for myself, mm-hmm. I used to have to take Xanax and get drunk. Like I used to yep. have to be blackout just to, just to walk the tarmac. I'd have to like <laughs> anxiety pills. Um, it took, but I, I remember thinking like, no, I've got to overcome this because I want to see the world. I want to travel and I want to have these big adventures. And I had already missed out on a couple of trips because the fear was so gripping that I couldn't get on the plane. I had purchased tickets to, a, yep. to Spain, to London. And I never got on the plane because the fear was so bad. And I lost, I was losing money. I was losing experiences and I was losing a part of my identity, right? The thing, cause I value experience. Yep. yep. So I just kept getting on planes and I think it probably took maybe like a 10, 15 different round trip it's so maybe 30 flights wow it took a lot it was a long time yep it was a long time um because here's the thing i would overcome it but then um like turbulence would hit and the you know anxiety would come rushing back or um at one point i didn't have my children but i was still afraid of flying and and the fear there was my that leaving my mom behind but then I had children and the fear was the children behind and then I got over the so different moments in your life will trigger old thought patterns to come back to life so you do have to keep working on it but now when a plane when I'm on the plane and there's like turbulence the first bump I'm like eh, whatever if it if it gets super bumpy I have to do my practices I just do what I know to do. Like, okay, we've prepared for this. We've trained for this. So I don't think that the goal is to never, ever experience anxiety or fear again. The goal is to know how to manage it and neutralize it when it shows up. That's the work. That's the breakthrough. I love that. So you would combat, you'd notice the anxiety on the plane Mm -hmm. and then you would combat it with rational dialogue that's been yes. practiced before it's like your it's like the story that comes out yes. of your tool belt right and it's like oh yeah this is it and then it kind of calms down the amygdala in that moment yes, so exactly it's awesome that's really good and, and there's also an acceptance there too because i always help my clients with anxiety and i always say you know what are the mantras you're telling yourself like sometimes for me I would approach a situation that I fear with this story. I'd be like, I hope I get a panic attack. So I challenge myself. It's yeah. like I, I flip the script. Like, it's like, I hope I face the dragon today so I can be stronger than I am. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, if it kills me, let it kill me. So what? It's like these, these <laughs> thoughts, it's like, what you know, it's going to that worst case uh, scenario. And I love that, Rachel. I think you give a really 
great uh, wisdom on that. That's, that's, that's awesome. And you have the experience too. Like yeah. everything that we've been talking about, you, you come from real hardships. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had to figure out yourself, your values, your beliefs, reshape yourself, uh, mold yourself into the person that you are. So I think you're an absolute role model for people who mm-hmm. are a lot for a lot of people nowadays who are struggling. Um, before we conclude, Rachel, I do want to touch upon boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I love this part because when my old self, I was a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. I was overly compassionate. Mm-hmm. I wasn't looking to myself, whether I'm, I'm okay, whether I'm taking care of myself. Um, and so I had no boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I was always stepping on myself. It's like, I would come home. Why did I say this? Why did I behave in that way? It's like every time I would go into work, it's like those, that cycle would continue. And so for you, what is personal boundaries and how do you pro somebody like my old self who has none at mm. all? <laughs> <laughs> so for me, boundaries are life. And when you have personal boundaries, external boundaries in place, that's when you actually get to live out your purpose. That's where you actually get to be who God created you to be, because now you're not letting everyone else run your life. You are in control. And interestingly, that I find that people who want control have the weakest boundaries. Uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things, again, where we have to prove ourselves wrong. So the first thing I say is when you're considering a personal boundary is take a look at your personal integrity. Do you have a good track record with yourself of keeping your promises to yourself? If you don't, then the first thing that you should do is set a micro goal. So maybe it's making your bed every single day for four days. And again, it's got to be micro so that your brain creates a neural pathway of victory. Once you do that, then you go for five days, then for six days. Now we can trust ourselves. Now your brain is like, oh, okay, we are someone who keeps our word to ourselves. Great. If your struggle is actually honoring external boundaries, right, with the people that you love and care about, the first thing I recommend that you do is enroll them in your vision. So maybe there's a project that you want to work on and you need this time, a particular time a day or several times a week where you are by yourself and nobody's asking you for things or tasking you or inviting you out, you sit down, you sit the people down and you say, listen, I am really excited about this project that I'm working on and I really need your support. I would like for you to recognize that from this time to this time, I'm unavailable. Any other time, I'm available. Call me if you need me. But from this time to this time, I'm unavailable. So I'm letting you know right now so that if you accidentally forget and you task me for something in those hours, you know and understand why I'm not responding, why my phone is on do not disturb, and why I'm unavailable, and that I will get back to you as soon as that time period is lifted. Then the second step is to show them what's in it for them. Because if you can point to how you winning this project adds value to their life, they're more likely to honor the boundary. So a good example is with my children. 
kids, mommy is working from this time to, and I work from home so they can look, I have a uh, French doors so they can actually see me while I'm working. Mommy is working from this time to this time. Do not come in unless it's an emergency. And an emergency means that someone is bleeding or dying, at which case you also don't come in. You call 911 first, then you come and get me. Because if it's really an emergency, we better get the paramedics here before you come in and take the time. And the reason this is so important that you let mommy work is because you all want to go to Universal this summer, don't you? And you want to be able to do all the things in the Harry Potter and you each want to buy this and the that. And, you know, that's like $4,000 for a full weekend for all of us. If you let mommy have this time, mommy will have the money so that you don't actually have to make tough choices between this or that. You get to have this and that. Immediately, they understand <laughs> the assignment. Yep. Now, there are, there are times, Brad, where there's nothing in it for them, right? Mm, true. There's, there's no like tangible outcome. So then what you say is, and listen, what's in it for you is that you get to see me, someone that you love, have a win. And I really want to win right now. Can you support me? Can you be my champion? Can you have my back in this? Love and if that. they say no, then, you know, maybe you need to clean house on the people that you're keeping in your inner circle. You don't have to <laughs> kick them all the way out, but maybe put them in an outer ring. Yes, absolutely. Rachel, uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom mm -hmm. with me and my audience today. Um, I recommend that everybody check out the book because we touched upon just so little of what the book holds. So I want everybody to go and get the book. Um when is it available, Rachel? And how can we access this purchase? Sure. So the book is called Permission to Offend, The Compassionate Guide for Living Unfiltered and Unafraid. It begins shipping on February 7th, 2023. And you can grab it where all books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can go to permissiontoffend.com forward slash presale. You can go to rachelluna.com. Um, and grab it. Yeah. And definitely, since you're already listening to a podcast, you can find my podcast, Permission to Offend, right. and tune in there as well. And I'd love to have you. Awesome. Thank you, Rachel. It, it's been a pleasure again. And any last words before we conclude? Give yourself permission to offend. That's where the freedom is. I love that. Thank you. Bye, Thank everybody. You Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.